0: Okay, let's try one more time. He is risen. He is risen indeed. All right, not one more time because that was lousy. Two more times. He is risen. He is risen indeed. All right, good. You're awake. I like you when you're awake for the sermon. At least the first five minutes. I'd like you to be awake for the first five minutes or so. You guys, it is Easter that is so exciting. Listen, um, if there are any kids here that have not yet gone to Kids Connection in 1, 2, 6th grade and under, you're dismissed. The kids that sang are already there, so if there's still anybody in here, you're not stuck, don't worry, you can go. Um, you know what I love about Easter? I'll show you. This is what I love about Easter. This one's even a soccer player. I like that. Man, there's nothing like Easter morning. Solid chocolate bunny for breakfast. It's not solid. <laughs> it's empty inside. Excuse me, I want to take a drink. <laughs> I was so looking forward to this thing being solid chocolate. It was completely empty inside. What a disappointment, huh? Totally disappointing. Here I was thinking that I was going to have this great solid chocolate bite for, to keep me up and awake during the sermon. And I bite into it, and it's just empty inside. Well, in case you're wondering, this is meant to be an object lesson. <laughs> you know what's interesting about the resurrection is that when they went to the tomb, they did not expect to find it empty. They expected to find that it was still shut up. They expected to find that it was still filled with the body of Christ. They didn't go to the tomb that day expecting that they were going to find an open and a hollow tomb, if you will. And you know what's interesting? Just like me when I just ate the rabbit's ears and found out it was empty and that was open inside. When they got to the tomb and found out it was open inside, you know what their initial response was? Disappointment. They were disappointed when they got to the tomb, and they saw that the stone had been rolled away, and they saw that the body of Christ was not in the tomb. That To us today, that just seems like the most ridiculous response in the world, to get there, to find that the tomb is empty, and to be disappointed. I mean, what is wrong with these people? And it's not as if they were not told that the tomb would be empty. They were told again and again and again, Jesus said to them, Over and over to the 12, to the women, to the closest people who followed him, he said over and over and over again, the Son of Man will be delivered into the hands of sinners and he will be crucified and he will die and he will be buried and he will raise again on the third day. Now it was the third day. The cross was Friday. Friday. And as it went into Friday evening, as the sun was getting ready to set, they took his body off the cross. Because, you know, Friday night at sundown is actually the beginning of Saturday in the Jewish calendar, right? That it goes evening to evening, not morning to morning. So, so at, at sundown on Friday, it actually becomes the Sabbath, okay? Because Saturday is the Sabbath. So at Friday night, they had to get his body off the cross. They had to quickly get him wrapped up. They had to get him shoved into a tomb. In fact, they used a borrowed tomb. Because it was the closest. There was this guy named Joseph, and he had a tomb that, that belonged to his family and had never been used, and it was in this garden that was nearby, and he said, you can take Jesus and lay him in the tomb. I'm not even sure that the plan was for Jesus to stay in the tomb. Obviously, the plan was that they were going to come back after the Sabbath, and then they were going to a- a- appropriately prepare the body for burial, and then perhaps move him to another more permanent tomb. That was the idea. So when they got to the grave, there's all these different accounts. Matthew tells us what happened. Mark tells us what happened. Luke tells us what happened. And John tells us what happened. And all these four different accounts, you have to sort of read all four to get the whole story to emerge because each of them is telling from a different perspective. Each of them is giving it um, a slightly different twist. Some of them are giving more details than others. Some of them are, are hitting on things that others didn't touch on. And when you put it all together, you realize that as it was about to be sunrise, the, there were these, these women who were close followers of Jesus. There was a woman named Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene is well-known in Scripture. Jesus had cast numerous demons out of her, and she became a follower of Jesus that day. And she loved Jesus, and she stayed with Him, and she was devoted to Him. In fact, it seemed like there was, there was this whole group of women. Oftentimes in the Scripture, when it talks about those closest to Jesus, it talks about the disciples, or what they called the Twelve, and the women. And there was this group of women that, that basically traveled with them often, that ministered with them often, that were a part of their inner circle. And one of them was Mary Magdalene. Another one was also named Mary Um, In fact, like 90% of the women in the Bible are named Mary. Um, There was another one named Joanna. and She was also known as Salome. And these women were very, very close. And the scripture tells us when you look at all the different accounts that at least those three women, if not some others, went early in the morning on that Sunday morning because now the... um, the Sabbath was over, and they were able to go and finish preparing the body. And they brought these spices and these wrappings and all this, that they were going to appropriately prepare the body of Jesus. And, and it tells us that they were hoping that there would be someone there. Um, they knew that there would be a squad of soldiers there. They knew that there would be um, the caretakers of the garden there. And they were hoping that they would help them to roll the stone back so they could get in and continue taking care of the body and preparing him for burial. And so those women... Show up that first day. But as you piece the four stories together, you realize that the the women that came together that morning didn't stay together. And I want to give you John's account of this. So if you have your Bible with you, I want you to turn to the Gospel of John. It's the fourth book of the New Testament. And I want you to just turn to the Gospel of John chapter 20. While I take another drink of water to get the chocolate out of my mouth. Terry, this is for you. You hold on to that. I know. <laughs> I, I'm sitting here actually looking at this on my podium, going, "These lights are going to melt this, and it's just going to be not great." So, um, better that it melts in your purse or something like that. <laughs> everybody, just give everybody an ear or a foot or something, and then we'll share. Um, I want you to pick it up in John chapter 20, beginning at verse one. It says, "Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene." came early to the tomb while it was still dark, and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter, to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So she just gets there. Those those three women show up together, and Mary Magdalene notices first that the tomb, the stone has already been rolled away. She notices that the tomb is empty, and her first thought is, this is terrible. Now, we just wanted to pay our respects. We just wanted to mourn. We just wanted to grieve. We just wanted to prepare his body, and they took his body away. And it occurred to her that after all they had done to him on Friday, that it would be just like them to do that to just get rid of the body, go throw it in a heap somewhere or burn it. And so she gets there and she sees the stone is rolled away and her. Worst fears have been confirmed because she was not expecting to find that tomb empty. And when it's empty, she assumes the worst. She runs off and she tells Peter, I don't know what they've done with the body of our Lord. Verse 3. So Peter and the other disciple went forth. By the way, the other disciple is John, and he's writing the story, and he never calls himself John. He calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. But that's John. So um, verse 4, the two were running together. I love John's description. I wish we could see Peter's description, but this is what John says. Um, the two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter, This is just guys, right? (laughs) Ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb also entered, and he saw... And believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary was standing outside the tomb. So I want you to get this straight. So Mary goes and gets Peter and John. Peter and John do not say, Okay, Mary, come with us. Let's go back and check it out. They take off running, okay? And they get to the tomb first, they see it, they interpret the empty tomb as meaning that he is risen, because as soon as they see those linens laying there empty, and the face cloth rolled up in the corner, as soon as they see that, they remember that he said to them, you will find that the Savior is risen on the third day. And so immediately they go, yes, he's risen, and they head back to Galilee, okay, But here along comes Mary. By the time Mary Magdalene gets back, they're already gone, okay? So 11, verse 11, Mary's returning to the tomb, and once again, she's by herself. And she still doesn't know what happened. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting on one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, woman why are you weeping? She said to them, because they've taken away my Lord, I do not know where they have laid him. Apparently to Mary, these angels just look like men. She just assumed they were caretakers of the garden or of the graves. And when they asked her a question, she just answers them and says, they've taken away the body of my Lord and I don't know where they have laid him. Verse 14, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. And did not know that it was Jesus. (laughs) Now, I don't know why. I don't know why she didn't know. I know that the disciples on the road to Emmaus didn't recognize him either. And the scripture tells us there that they had been uh, prohibited from recognizing him. Somehow their eyes or their brain got messed up, so they didn't recognize him. I don't know if that's what happened to Mary. All I know is that Mary turned around, and there is her Lord standing there, the resurrected, risen Savior. And he's standing there right in front of her, and she looks at him, and she does not know who he is. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to him, Sir... If you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my father and your father and my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he said these things to her. So she thinks he's the gardener. He says, woman, why are you weeping? And she explains, I think somebody's carried him away. Are you the one that carried him away? If you know where he is, tell me, I'm telling you, I'll take care of the body. You don't have to worry about it. Just tell me where he is. And he just uses this tone of voice, and and he calls her by name, and he says, Mary. And immediately, she knows. And what's funny is the scripture doesn't even tell us what she does, but it's inferred. She falls down at his feet and grabs hold of his ankles. She's worshiping him, and she won't let go to the point where Jesus is like, Mary, (laughs) Mary. you have to let go of me. He says, stop clinging to me. Let go of me because I've not yet ascended to the Father. This is just a momentary glimpse. This is just a chance meeting, but I'm going to ascend to my Father. It's not finished yet. And so Matthew's gospel describes how the other women stayed And they looked into the tomb, and they heard from the angels. And then it describes later how Peter and John went, and they knew what had happened. But Mary was always in the dark until this moment, when all of a sudden, Jesus reveals himself to her. Now, since you were here in this room on Easter Sunday, I'm going to assume that you have already heard that the tomb is empty. I'm just gonna, is that a fair assumption? You know that, right? The tomb is empty. But I wonder how many of us really understand the significance of that. I wonder how many of us are just sort of like Mary when she's completely in the dark and she looks and she goes, The tomb is empty. Oh, I don't know what that means. She immediately assumes that it means something bad. I wonder how many of us know that the tomb is empty. We sort of believe that the tomb is empty. We've heard all of our lives that the tomb is empty. And yet here we are on another Easter Sunday when we're saying, He is risen, He is risen indeed. And we're singing our hallelujahs to God. And I wonder how many of us are really, really grappling with what it means that the tomb is empty. So let me give it to you as plain and simple as I possibly can. The empty tomb means that life has triumphed over death. That's what it means. The empty tomb means that mercy has triumphed over judgment. The empty tomb means that grace triumphs over sin. In short, the empty tomb means you can have new life. That's what it means. And that's where you're supposed to shout amen. amen. I'll give you cue cards next time. <laughs> See, here's the thing. For all of human history, from Adam to Jesus, all of mankind had been under this curse. And it, it's not, it shouldn't catch us unawares. It shouldn't be surprising that we're under this curse because God said to Adam and Eve, listen, if you disobey me, if you turn against me, if you rebel against me, then death will enter the picture. The wages of sin is death, as Paul puts it in the book of Romans. And God explained that as far back as the garden. And ever since they disobeyed, ever since they decided they want to be in charge of their own lives rather than bow down to the Lord and King, ever since that day, not only they, but all of their descendants, including all of us, have been in the same situation, and that is that we are under the curse of death. And I'm pretty sure you've noticed by this point in your life that people eventually die. And every time we go to a memorial service, And every time we attend a graveside service, and every time we sit in a funeral, and every time we go to the ICU, and every time we lose a loved one, we are reminded that death is very powerful. And we are still dealing with the remnants of that curse all throughout the world. Every one of us is born into that curse, and every one of us has sinned willfully And therefore, every one of us is guilty before a holy God. It's just simple. There's no getting around it. We could sit there and pretend it's not true, but it is true, and we know it's true. There's nothing we can do about this problem. The wages of sin is death. And every time we lose someone, we're reminded. On Friday night, this past Friday night, we were reminded. As we gathered here to worship God, and we focused on what happened on the cross, and we saw Jesus breathing His last right after He said, "'It is finished,' and hanging dead on the tree, we were reminded. Because on Friday night, the sinless Son of God hung on a cross dead because He had paid the penalty for our sin. He drank for us the cup of God's wrath that we could not possibly drink for ourselves." To put it simply, Jesus died for us, right? But on the third day, on the third day, as the sun began to peak over the hillside, on the third day, when the women came early just as the morning was breaking to the tomb, they found the tomb was empty. And the reason the tomb was empty is very, very simple. Jesus was raised from the dead. It's not that he was not dead. Don't ever think for a second that maybe they just took him off the cross too early and he wasn't really dead. Oh, he was dead. They took a spear, shoved it up between his ribs and into his heart and pulled it out and the water and the blood flowed out together showing that his pericardium had burst. He was as dead as he could be when they laid him in that tomb and they rolled the stone Across, And they set an, a squad of Roman soldiers all around that garden so that no one could come in because they were afraid that since they had heard these claims of resurrection, they were afraid the disciples would come and steal the body away. And so they put these, these Roman soldiers under penalty of death to guard the tomb. And when the women got there in the morning, you know where the Roman soldiers were? Flat on their face. Because the scripture says there was an earthquake, the ground began to shake as we sang, And the stone began to roll away and there was angelic presence. And as soon as the angelic presence manifested itself and as soon as Jesus rose from the dead, it says that they fell over like dead men in the presence of the risen God. See, Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Now, resurrection was not such a shocking thing for them because they had seen Jesus raise the dead before. But it is one thing and an amazing thing for sure To know that Jesus could come to Lazarus while he's already in the tomb and been in the tomb for days and call him and say, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes forth. That's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing that the widow of Nain is leading the funeral procession with her only son in a casket. And they're carrying him on their shoulders. And Jesus comes along and just touches the casket and the boy is returned to life. That's an amazing thing. To have the power To be able to touch someone else's life and raise them from the dead is an amazing thing. So they had seen amazing things when it comes to resurrection. But to raise yourself from the dead? Now that's another trick entirely, isn't it? Jesus was dead. And now he was alive. See, Jesus had defeated sin on the cross. But if he had stayed dead, If you could go today, as you can with so many other great religious leaders, and you could visit his tomb and lay flowers at his grave, it would be an absolutely devastating thing because he didn't just come to pay the price for our sin, he came to defeat the consequences of our sin, and the consequences of our sin are what? Death. The wages of sin is death. But I have good news. Jesus did raise He did pay the price on the cross. He did defeat sin. He did defeat death. And he is seated today at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is risen. And he has defeated death on our behalf. Listen to how Paul explains it. I want to read it to you from 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul spells this out for us. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 12. Paul's making a theological argument here against those who believe there's no such thing as resurrection. And listen to what he says beginning in verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is in vain. Listen to what Paul's saying. He's saying, if he's still in the tomb, then everything we believe means nothing. Everything the church has been about for 2,000 years is an absolute waste of time and energy and resources if Christ is still in the tomb. Moreover, verse 15, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that He raised Christ whom He did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised. Your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. So if you're wondering why I get so pumped up and excited about Easter, that's it. We are no longer locked in the jail, the prison that is created by our sins because Christ is risen. Verse 18, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. If, if our whole thing about Jesus is that it's just a religious system, it's a philosophy, it's a way of a, a life, it's a culture for us, but that's it. And if it's just about this life and living a good life and trying to be a good person and trying to be happy and successful, if that's it, then we are of all men most to be pitied. In other words, he's saying if Jesus is not raised, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And there's nothing after that if Christ is not raised. Verse 20 but now, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, speaking of Adam, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. See, the empty tomb doesn't just mean new life for Jesus. This is the point I want us to make sure that we get today. It means new life for all of us who put our trust in Him. That's what it means. The bloody cross, it means that your sins have been forgiven. And the empty tomb, it means that you have new life in Jesus Christ, eternal life. And so the scripture says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death. Where is your sting? Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And so now what we have on this earth, for those who are followers of Jesus Christ, is that there is still something that we call death. We still go to funerals for Christians, don't we? Right? So there is still this shadow of death all across the world. And we're still under that shadow of death. But the difference is that for those of us who are followers of Christ, those of us who have accepted His free gift of forgiveness, those of us who are walking in the newness of life, the difference is that death for us is not the end, it's the beginning. Oh my goodness, what a difference. The promise of the resurrection is eternal life. It's a guarantee made by Jesus Himself that you and me And anyone who will put their trust in him will have eternal life. And you know what? If that was all, if that was all it meant, it would be enough, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be enough reason to do what Mary did and just fall at his feet and cling to him and and weep and cry and praise and thank and honor and worship him? Wouldn't that be enough? But that's just the beginning, you guys. See, Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it what? Abundantly. He's talking about life here on earth. It's not just that we have eternity in heaven. It's not just that Jesus says, Listen, I'm gonna give you a dream about a next life and you're gonna live for that next life. He goes, No, no, no. New life begins today. Eternity has already begun. Don't think about life as though we're in this life and we'll do our time here and then this life will end. And when this life ends, Then we'll move on to some new spiritual realm or something like that. That's not what the scripture teaches. The scripture teaches that for every follower of Jesus, we have eternal life and we're already in it. And so death for us is a doorway into actual life. And that's really good news. He came to give us life today. Some of us really need to hear this right now. Some of us are undoubtedly struggling in these days. Some of us are undoubtedly dealing with some stuff, some stuff that, that we can't fix. Some of us have relationship issues that have gotten so out of control and they are so burdensome to us, and we can't seem to make it right. Some of us are dealing with fears and anxiety and doubt. Some of us are just overwhelmed with depression and discouragement. Some of us today are dealing with habits that seem to be the the banner that we carry with us everywhere we go. We just can't get rid of them. Some of us today are just caught up in sins and we don't understand how we could be followers of Jesus and still struggling the way that we are. This is good news for us, you guys. We're looking at our circumstances and we're thinking, you know, that's it. I have just blown it. I have just messed this whole thing up and there's nothing I can do to get it right. It is all over. But the empty tomb should say to us loud and clear that with God, nothing is impossible. See He offers us a new beginning. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you're in 1 Corinthians, just turn a couple pages to the right. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Oh, I love this verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. See, all things have become new in Christ. That's why I entitled this message, New Beginnings. I want us to understand something when we leave here this, play, this day. I want us to know something. The life that you have been struggling with, the things that you have been stepping in holes and failing over and over again, the ways that you have disappointed God, the ways that you have hurt the people who loved you, and the ways that people have hurt you, all of the stuff that you're carrying, every one of us is carrying some stuff, right? We all got some scars in our hearts. We've all made a mess of things in our own lives, and we've all been the victims of other people's sin. All of us know what I'm talking about. There's nobody here that's immune from that. I want you to get this message clear because of the empty tomb. Today is a new beginning. You are no longer the person you used to be when you come to follow Jesus Christ, everything becomes new. You know what I like about Mary's story? She had seen the stone rolled away. She had looked inside the empty tomb. She would even heard from angels. But nothing changed her until she saw the risen Lord and was reconnected to Him. And my prayer for us today is that we would see Him. Not with our eyes but see him with our soul, see him with our heart. Really that he would, he would reveal himself to us in a way that we would say, wow, I just can't ignore him anymore. I just can't treat him like he's a story from a, 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 you know, some character in an old dusty book from a story from 2,000 years ago. That's not who he is. He's the king of kings and lord of lords, not just another man standing in the garden, Not just another religious leader who said, listen, I know the way, the one who is the way. Once she saw him for who he was, Mary fell at his feet and she wouldn't let him go. And once that happened, she began to actually live the abundant life that Jesus came to give her. That's Mary's story. What about you? You've heard the story. You're familiar with the evidence, but have you really seen Him? Have you seen Him for who He is? And have you responded accordingly? Because until you do, you will never know the life that Jesus came to give you. But once you do, you cast off your chains. You're no longer bound. You're no longer controlled by sin. You're no longer under the sentence of the curse, but you are free to live life the way Christ intended it. Listen, you guys, it's about new beginnings. Today is the first day of the rest of your eternity because Jesus is alive. It's a new beginning. Why not follow Mary's example? And fall at His feet and worship Him for the abundant life that He offers you. One last time, He is risen. He is risen.